We are here in our uh, third week of Advent where we are uh, walking through the book of Isaiah. We're, we're fixing to land the plane here pretty soon. And so uh, as we have gone through uh, this, this season of Advent, the time between uh, and on our calendar, Thanksgiving and Christmas Day, uh, Chad Bird, who's a theologian, said it's the time that the church runs with a flat tire, uh, that while the rest of the world is kind of zooming by uh, and and kind of hurtling toward Christmas, the church is approaching it slowly with remembrance of all that is taking place. Um, I think he might be a liar because I had a lot of Christmas parties this week and I don't feel like it's going slow. That wasn't a, a humble brag to say how many parties I get to go to. Uh, I'm confessing. Uh, we know that in this time there is so much. There's, there's all the work parties, there's social gatherings, um, all the things that we're trying to cram in before the year ends. Uh, in Isaiah, the Lord, uh, the church is calling us to slow down uh, and to remember uh, as we look at the first advent at Christ's first coming, uh, we also cast a wishful eye to his second advent. And so we come this morning to Isaiah chapter nine, which is um, probably one of the more famous passages that's read at Christmas time. You'll hear it on movies, you'll hear it in songs. Usually we have little kids read it during the service. It's prophetic and it's beautiful. Uh, and so we wanna ask this morning, what does it all mean uh, at a time when Israel was in trouble, at a time when there wasn't anything really to be uh, that joyful of uh, concerning their lives? Uh, we look at Isaiah 9 and a promise breaks through, a promise that uh, it isn't going to end uh, the way Assyria wants it to end. Uh, it's not gonna end the way that the devil wants it to end. Uh, it's a promise that the king of Assyria isn't the true king. It's a promise that the king of Babylon, who would come later to take Isaiah's, uh, to take the kingdom of Judah rather into exile, uh, that he's not the true king. It's the promise that there's gonna be a child born to them uh, who's gonna come from David's line, uh, who's gonna change everything, a savior, as we sing, who is Christ the Lord. And he won't be like anything they're expecting uh, but because this child born to them is Christ the Lord, Isaiah is saying to us and God is saying to us that believers can live in unshakable joy as we await the arrival of the king. Uh, so two things we'll see in this passage, we'll see an unlikely plan and an unshakable joy. So if you have a copy of the scriptures, we'll be in Isaiah 9, verses one through seven. Uh, it'll also be on the screens. So let's give our attention to the reading of God's holy word this morning from Isaiah chapter nine. This is the word of the Lord. But there will be no gloom for her who is in anguish. In the former time, he brought into contempt the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali. But in the latter time, he has made glorious the way of the sea, the land beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the nations. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness, on them has light shone. You have multiplied the nation. You have increased its joy. They rejoice before you as with joy at the harvest and they are glad when they divide the spoil. For the yoke of his burden and the staff for his shoulder, the rod of his oppressor you have broken as on the day of Midian. For every boot of the tramping warrior in battle tumult and every garment rolled in blood will be burned as fuel for the fire. For unto us a child is born. For to us a son is given and the government shall be upon his shoulders and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God. Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end. And on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. Let's pray together. Uh, Jesus, we are undone by your graciousness and we're undone by your goodness. Uh, we don't understand it. 
Uh, so Lord, as we uh, are fighting off uh, thousands of voices that are calling our hearts elsewhere, would your still small voice be the one uh, to call us into, uh, if even just for this next hour, um, soulless and sanctuary with you, uh, that we would uh, be empowered by your Holy Spirit, uh, that we would uh, be led by your Holy Spirit uh, to see uh, Jesus as the one who truly loves us. And we will leave here rejoicing because of all that he has done. And it's in his name we do pray, amen. So as I said, uh, we're gonna look at two things. We're gonna see an unlikely plan uh, and unshakable joy. Uh, so let's dive in for this most, uh, this most bizarre of rescue plans, looking at verse one. Uh, for a little context here, as we've talked about the last couple weeks, Isaiah is uh, tasked with telling Israel about their great defeat. Uh, they're gonna be overrun by Assyria. Uh, they're gonna be taken into exile uh, due, to their, uh, due to their great obedience. Uh, chapter eight closes with Isaiah telling Israel that they will be thrust into, into thick darkness uh, and that it's gonna be bad. Uh, Israel, it's gonna be bad and it's gonna get a little worse. Uh, God in his justice, God being a God who is, justice is a character trait of his. Uh, justice, you could say, is who God is. Uh, and so he can't ignore uh, Israel's disobedience. He can't ignore Israel's rebellion. He can't ignore their sin uh, because he can't deny who he is. And so there is justice that is coming for the people of Israel, justice uh, against their disobedience is gonna come through. The Assyrians' judgment is gonna come on them. But at the same time, Isaiah is saying, Israel is not gonna be like that forever. Because at the same time, God is merciful. And at the same time, God is good. And at the same time, God is loving. And at the same time, God is right. And he rules rightly. He's the only one who can hold justice and mercy at the same time. Uh, and so is, Isaiah is saying to Israel, it's gonna get dark, it's gonna be dark for a while. Uh, you are helpless against this, but you're not hopeless, Israel. Uh, that in prophetic fashion, he delivers to Israel what God plans to do to pull them out of this mess. He wants Israel to remember that God has made a promise to them and that God doesn't break his promises. So just as I get my dog Bo, my black lab Bo, to take his medicine, in order to do that, I have to wrap it in a piece of cheese. You get the judgment of the bad medicine, like Bon Jovi says, of God's judgment coming, but it's wrapped in the cheese of God's great mercy. It's the first time it's ever done. Keep your eyes out for God's mercy cheese line coming, 2023. Um, and so God has come with this judgment. He's come with his mercy and it's met in Isaiah, the one to deliver this, uh, this message that there's going to be a child born to them. And of David's line, that God has not forgotten you, Israel. This is Sadvent, as we said last week, becoming Gladvent. God is revealing to Israel his rescue plan, but it's gonna come through the most unlikely of methods. Isaiah writes in verse one, that uh, Zebulon and Naphtali have fallen, which means nothing to you. <laughs> me, I statements, me statements, it means nothing to me. 
But who, was, who is this? Why do they matter? Uh, Zebulun and Naphtali, they were the Israeli, Israeli tribes who were across, on, they were on the other side of the Jordan. So there's 12 tribes of Israel, 10 across the Jordan, two uh, were on the other side. Those were the two who, were bordered, who bordered Assyria, which means they were the two who bared the brunt of any invasion into the promised land. It always came through Zebulun and Naphtali. And God is saying, we haven't forgotten you. Even though you're on the other side of the Jordan, even though it seems like you're far away from what's happening in Jerusalem, and we know that there's destruction over here, God has not forgotten you. You might be the first to fall, you always take the brunt. It would have been dark for them. Isaiah says that it's a deep darkness has fallen on them. Uh, in the original language in Hebrew, this deep darkness is translated as a death shadow darkness that the death shadow of darkness is hanging on them like a cheap suit. In other words, the most fearful darkness you can fathom. But there's one thing that dispels the darkness, Isaiah is telling Israel, and it's light. And light is coming. Light has come, he even writes, that the burning edge of dawn has arisen over them. God has not forgotten them. Israel, Isaiah rather says, those who dwelt in the land on them has a light shone. And it's important to remember here that this is, this is future prophecy, right? Isaiah is a prophet. He has been given this vision from the Lord. And so it's something that's gonna happen in the future, but Isaiah is writing about it as if it's already happened. This is very strange because we don't talk that way, right? But what Isaiah is using here is the prophetic perfect tense, you're welcome, of, and what he is saying is, I'm so sure that this is gonna happen to Israel and we're gonna talk about it as if it's already taken place. I'm so sure, not because I'm hopeful, I'm so sure because I know the God who gave me this vision and the God who makes the promises to you and he doesn't break those promises. And so Isaiah, although the, or Israel rather, although this has not happened yet, I'm gonna speak of it as if it's already happened because I know beyond a shadow of a doubt that God's sovereignty orchestrates everything and he who called you is faithful, he will surely do it. So Isaiah is saying to the folks beyond the Jordan, the darkness that came upon you, a light has shone in tribes you will be redeemed and you are redeemed. We call this the already and not yet of scripture. That we're already holy, right? Because of what Jesus has done for us. But we're not yet holy because we still battle with sin. That we're already saved, but we're not yet saved because we're still here. That the, we call this t living in this tension of the already and the not yet. And you know that all too well. This is what Advent is, right? We're waiting on the appearing of the Son of God because we've been living in this tension of the already and the not yet, but living in that tension with the promise of God that we will be spared. In Israel, the church, you will be spared because there is a remnant of the faithful among you and it's been multiplied. We see this in verse three that Isaiah is writing uh, that uh, when God's plan started with Adam and Eve, they fell, and then we have the Noah's Ark, and then no, like everybody's wiped off the earth, uh, and then it kind of starts over with Noah and his family, and then they sort of mess it up, and then this promise comes to Abraham and Sarah, and God tells Abraham and Sarah, I'm gonna make a nation that's gonna come out of your family. It's gonna be like, they're gonna have so many descendants, it's gonna be like trying to count the stars. It's gonna be like trying to count the grains of sand on the seashore. And here in Israel, we know that even though there is great disobedience of Israelites, there are also those who are faithful and God always preserves for himself 
a remnant. And he talks about, uh, along with Zebulun and Naphtali, he also talks about saving Galilee of the nations, that the land beyond the Jordan, uh, Galilee would have been full of Gentiles. And so for a Jew, this would have been kind of weird because Jews and Gentiles didn't like each other. Uh, But Isaiah is saying, hey, God's plan, remember Jews, is not just for you. It's also for those who are outside the family. This is why this is such an unlikely plan because Galilee, like Galilee was backwoods. Uh, Galilee, like that's where the Hicks lived. Galilee was a truck stop and it wasn't Bucky's. Like this was a different, this was one of those bad truck stops. The Galilee was a trailer park. There were Gentiles in Galilee and God is saying, remember Israel, this plan of redemption is going to include those chosen from places that you wouldn't expect because the light that shines softens the hearts of Jews and Gentiles alike. It means that some of the oppressors as well as the oppressed will walk in the light of the Lord. And if we could put our New Testament glasses on for a second, you may remember the story uh, from John chapter one where Jesus comes and he's starting to round up his disciples. Uh, He meets a man named Nathaniel. Uh, Nathaniel had a brother named Philip. Philip goes to Nathaniel and he's like, hey man, I've met the Messiah and his name's Jesus of Nazareth of Galilee. And Nathaniel's answer wasn't, oh, that's awesome. His answer was, can anything good come from Nazareth? Nazareth was like a town in Galilee, right? So this even extended all the way even into the face of Jesus, like to his face. Nathaniel was like, nope, you're from Galilee. That doesn't make any sense. That Jesus always chooses the most unlikely of methods because why in the world would the greatest news that's ever taken place, why would the gospel emanate from such an ordinary place like Galilee? Because isn't this what God always does? Think of how God has worked even in your own lives. Typically, it's just through normal everyday stuff. It's, it's typically through very unlikely methods that he's the God of surprises and he's the God of surprises because our hearts have been hardened toward ever thinking that God could work in some other way. Why doesn't God work the way that I want him to work? And scripture assumes this about you. God knows this about you so much that he had to tell us that his ways are higher than our ways and that he will always choose the ways of the foolish to confound the wise. And this unlikely plan to bring forth salvation from Galilee, this light to come from Galilee to illuminate the rest of the world as the, death's deep, as the deep death shadow darkness drapes over us, Isaiah goes on to promise that the giver of this light has broken the yoke of burden if we look at verse four. He's broken the yoke of burden and the staff for his shoulder, the rod of his oppressor. He says, you have broken it as on the day of Midian. What sounds about as interesting as Naphtali. What he's talking about there, if you know your Old Testament, um, there's Gideon who was a judge at the time of Israel. Uh, Gideon had this massive army. The Midianites had, had entered into the promised land. They had to drive them out. And so Gideon uh, is going in with this massive army. God stops him and he says, hey, Gideon, we have, to, we have to whittle your troops down a little bit. And so they do all these weird things like, hey, which, which one drinks water the weirdest and then they can go with you? And he whittles it down to like 300 men and then they go against this great army against Midian and they wipe them out. And Isaiah is saying to Israel, it's gonna be like with Gideon. It's gonna be a very unlikely way that I'm going to stamp out the evil of the world. 
as we spoke about last week, last week rather, there's a shoot that's gonna come from the stump. It looks like desolation, Isaiah. It looks like desolation, Israel. But there's a shoot that's coming out of the stump. There's a small flicker that's about to spark a wildfire of joy that's going to dispel and disperse this darkness back to hell where it belongs. And this isn't an empty hope. This isn't like kind of what we see on TV when it comes to Christmas. Like if you just believe in the power of Christmas, it'll happen. Like that's not what's happening. This isn't Jiminy Cricket tossing a nickel into a wishing well. A nickel is a coin uh, that sometimes has Thomas Jefferson's face on it. Those used to exist. Um, and, and it's not just being like, man, I just hope this works out and you just throw it and see what sticks. Scripture doesn't work that way because God is the power behind this promise and God doesn't break his covenants with his people. In fact, it's the covenants that he's made with his people. That's the reason Israel's even breathing. If God broke his promises, he would have killed him. But God says, I I remember the promise I made to Abraham and I'm going to spare you. I'm gonna create this plan for your redemption. It's grace, as we sing, that's brought us safe thus far and it's grace that will lead us home, always through these unlikely methods. And Isaiah is saying this unlikely method to, to, to save the world is actually gonna bring an unshakable joy that the world will never understand, which is our last point here this morning. Uh, unshakable joy. If we look now at verses five through seven, uh, we see the result of this light coming forth and how this light will actually be incarnate, that it will be in flesh. This light that Isaiah speaks of isn't some soulless energy in the universe. It isn't karma. It isn't empty spirituality. Isaiah is telling us this promise that's coming to you is gonna be a child. He's gonna be born to you that there's an end of the madness that is coming. There's an end to the oppression and the fear that surrounds the marching armies and it all culminates in this tiny child who is coming to you. And when he comes, Israel, you will know joy. You will know joy because of what verse five says. That every, every weapon we use to fight, uh, our army fatigues, if you will, uh, are gonna be burned as fuel for the fire that there's no need to fight anymore because we have one who will come and who will fight for us. Now I've always had this, uh, maybe you're like me, I don't know. I've had this love-hate relationship with the church telling me to be joyful. Cause I'm like, what if I don't wanna be? Like what if I'm sad? What if my parents are crazy? I don't wanna have joy. Um, it, it's always felt a little bit like forced family fun to me uh, that things are just going great. We're just having a good time, mother-in-law, Angela, and now we have to bust out catchphrase because it's just, not, it's just going a little too well. It's going a little too well. She doesn't listen to this podcast. It's going a little too great for us. It's this idea I've always felt that you kind of have to manufacture this, that I gotta be joyful. I gotta be joyful because that's what the Bible says because the Bible tells me so. I have to do this. God is coming and saying that's not what joy is. That's not what joy is. Enneagram sevens, this is why you need to take an edible or why you need to take some Benadryl. You've got to calm down. That's not what joy is. God is coming and he's saying, biblical joy, as my friend Jeff says, sloshes around the Christian world like a toddler carrying a bowl of water. 
But sometimes it's contained, sometimes it splashes over. But if you're a parent, you're always watching, where's this kid going with this bowl of water? You're always mindful of it, but it's always gonna get all over everything as it's moving throughout our world. Isaiah says here, they will rejoice as if they are bringing in the harvest. Joy is going to emanate from you. Your hearts are gonna be so overfilled with joy that it's gonna be like we're bringing in a whole harvest and everybody's divvying up the food, bringing in the sheaves, as the old song says, where joy is so abundant that we will divide it among us and there will be so much to go around. It's like when I had my first real job and I got that paycheck and I was like, oh boy, your boy's rich. And I found out the government exists and I wasn't rich anymore. I was like, man, I can't believe there would be a way to spend all of this money. And Jesus is coming and saying, God is coming and saying to you, there is joy that you can't tap. You can't tap it out, you can't end it. Isaiah says, joy is coming for the Christian and it can't be touched. We're gonna burn all of our fighting instruments. We're going to burn. We're going to turn the, uh, the swords and the plowshares. You're going you're gonna to turn in your army uh, uniforms. There's no need to fight anymore, Israel, because Jesus has come and fought for you. There is no more reason to fight. Now we can have joy in just living under the light of Jesus Christ. That the yoke of burden, as verse four says, has been taken from our shoulders. But it doesn't say the yoke has been burned up. So where does that yoke go? Where does the burden go? Because we all feel these burdens. We look at verse six. It goes on the shoulders of the child. You wanna know the secret of joy? You wanna know why joy is a fruit of the spirit? Why joy is included in every spiritual blessing that's listed in scripture? Because the child given to you, Jesus Christ the Lord, takes the burden of that yoke of burden that was on you and he places it on himself. That 60 pound rucksack you carry around this season, the child that is born takes it from you. The crushing weight of collapsing under what, like what do I give my kid to eat? What person do I date? Who do I need to marry? How do I pay my mortgage? How do I pay for college? All these crushing burdens that the world throws at us, the weight of the addiction, the porn, the food, the codependency, the sibling rivalries, all that takes place during this season, Jesus is saying that yoke of burden is taken off of you and I'm gonna place it on myself. If I can carry the government on my shoulders, then I can carry the weight of the world on my shoulders as well. He is saying to know joy means to hand that over to him and then you can walk around in the light-footed joy of the wonderful counselor whose beauty and wisdom is so otherworldly that we don't understand it. That we can walk in the light of the warrior king God who fights for you. The one who loves you with a fatherly love that he's called our everlasting father. And I don't care how good or bad your dad was. Actually, I do, I care about that. It doesn't matter how good or bad your dad was. It wasn't Jesus. And Jesus is saying, everlasting father is who I will be for you. That you cannot fathom the peace that the Prince of Peace is going to bring. We can't, under, we can't comprehend that, that this kid, this king, he will do it. The one who is related to David in the most unlikely way, he will do it. And you might be asking yourself, as I'm asking myself while preaching this, how in the world is this gonna happen? If I don't worry, Daryl, about the presence under the tree, then who's gonna worry about them? Somebody's gotta wrap them. If I don't worry about these things, who's gonna worry about it? Somebody's gotta come through for me. 
Somebody's gotta do this. God isn't calling you. When we say this, he's not calling you to abandon your responsibilities. You still have to feed your kids. Right? You still have to eat. You still have to be married. You still have to be a roommate. Jesus is saying, I'm not asking you to abandon your responsibilities. I'm asking you to reorder your affections. The things that you love that are above me, we gotta reorder those. I have to be at the top of those. Those have to be the light in which we see everything else. I'm not asking you to get rid of those things. I'm asking you to reorder them. And look what Isaiah says at the end of this passage in chapter seven, the last phrase. He says, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. What in the world does that mean? If it's zeal, then what, what's the zeal? What is he zealous for? It's you. What is the Lord of hosts zealous for Israel? It's you. Church, it's you. Christian, it's you. It's his people. So zealous he was for you, in fact, that he is, uh, he is the reason this child was born. Because he knew there was no other way to fix this great chasm that experienced between us. This cosmic car wreck was not gonna be cleaned up by any other methods than Jesus and God the Father. It was God the Son at the time. God the Father, God the Son had to shake hands on this. And Jesus said, I'm gonna to submit to your plan, God the Father, and I'm gonna go down and I'm gonna buy them back. And I'm not gonna do this begrudgingly, I'm gonna do this because I want them. Not because I'm lonely, but because they're lovely. It's why I'm coming for them. And Jesus says, I will go and get them. My wife is, she's 20 weeks pregnant right now. And uh, we have a two, a two, almost a two and a half year old. And all those mornings that she's like yakking in the toilet and I'm just sitting there like eating chips or whatever. Um, I don't eat chips in the morning, that's absurd. Uh, but as she, is, as she is sick, I'm always like, why are we doing this again? Like, why, why is this happening? Like with the swollen feet and like the super, being super tired all the time. I'm like, why, is it, why are we doing this again? Because it affects me so much. Like, why are we doing this again? And she's like, you just forget. I just forget. And it's not, that, it's not like pregnancy brain's kicked in and she doesn't remember what it was like. It's because she loves our son so much that she's like, I wanna go through this again because I wanna love the next one. That it's the love that allows her to deal with all the craziness that comes along with it. That when Jesus, in John 16, Jesus could say this, other men can't. He said, it's like a woman who goes into labor but forgets the pain of childbirth because of the joy that comes from being a mother. And y'all, like, even though I think you all ate paint chips, and that's why you wanna do this again, what we're finding out is it's the joy. It's the joy of loving someone simply for the reason that you love them. Not because they do anything for you, just because you love them. And Jesus, in Hebrews chapter 12, we're told that he endured the shame of the cross because of the joy set before him. And that joy was you. That he endured that, that he could say, I have set their sins as far as the east is from the west and I will remember them no more. This doesn't mean that God's like forgetful. It's like, oh, did Nick Leonard sin this week? I can't remember. But he understands my love for him is so great, it's as if I will never remember his sin. I will never bring it up again. It's as far as the east is from the west, it's been paid for, it's been covered, and I'm not gonna bring it back up. That's what Jesus, that's why Jesus died. 
for the joy set before him that he went to get you. This is the only source of true joy, to be captured by the beauty of something that is within itself beautiful, that is within itself altogether lovely. This is what's available through Jesus. And how, how is this joy increased? How do we get more of this? It's through asking more of Jesus. As the hymn writer said, thou lovely source of true delight, whom I, unseen, uh, whom I unseen adore. Unveil thy beauty to my sight, that I might love thee more. That joy is available because of Jesus. Emmanuel is God with you. Emmanuel is God for you. That for the joy set before him, he endured the cross, carried its shame, and he's now seated at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. And the light that pierced the death shadow darkness comes to make his blessings flow as far as the curse is found. That under every rock, if you find a curse, there's a blessing that's gonna flow over it. And every part of your story where you're like, man, this is a curse, blessing flows over that. The promise of the coming world, the promise of the second advent is what Joy to the World is speaking about. It's a second advent song, it's not a Christmas song. That he's gonna come and make his blessings flow as far as the curse is found, even within us. Let's pray together. Uh, Lord, would we dare believe that? Lord, I would even ask that you would let me believe that. That your blessings flow as far as the curse is found as we look at the brokenness, as we look at the shame, as we look at the idolatry and the addiction, as we look at all the things that weigh us down, you promise us that your blessing is gonna flow over, thing, over those things. And so Jesus, would you come? Would you hasten the day of your return? Would you not leave us here any longer uh, without your presence? So Jesus, as long as we wait, uh, as long as you have us here, uh, would we rejoice in you? Would we make this patch of grass called Nashville a better place to be uh, because we know the one who rules over it? Uh, be our God, Jesus. Uh, Holy Spirit, uh, come and invade our hearts. And it's in the name of Jesus we do pray, amen.